Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at Naomi'sTable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Well, welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, and I've titled this study, Day 9, A True New Creation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So remember where we ended yesterday? Paul was reminding us of the eternal hope that we have, that judgment is real and will come, and that God is God over all, worthy to be praised and worthy of all glory all the time. Well, it is because of those truths and because of the reverence and awe that Paul has been given of God, by God, that he spreads the gospel far and wide. Again, here we see Paul also adding in a defense of himself and his ministry. God bears witness to who Paul is and what he is doing, but it should also be clear to these believers. Paul isn't trying to persuade them to support him per se, but is pointing them back to the truth of God that was shared with Corinth through Paul. This reminder should give them what they need in order to answer any objection raised regarding Paul being a true or false teacher. Those who are undermining Paul's teaching boast in outward appearance. That's all that those false teachers really have. They don't understand, much less have the heart change necessary to truly please God. When it's all about appearance, it's easy to be led astray. As we saw in 1 Corinthians, this was a big issue for these people. 
They were impressed by appearance and charisma and eloquence of the speaker to the point where they would align themselves with the teacher instead of with Christ, claiming to follow Paul or Apollos or others. Paul rebuked them for that in 1 Corinthians, telling them that they had to remember they belonged to Christ and warning them to have to watch their dependence on appearance to determine who to listen to. We have to evaluate the actual teaching of any teacher. And when a teacher is asked to clarify a teaching on a topic or passage and they still aren't clear, we should be very careful about the teaching that comes from that person. If I am teaching something in error and I'm human, so it can totally happen, the appropriate process would be for me to be shown through scripture where my error is. That may happen because God's spirit is working through me and opens my eyes to the error Or it may happen because God uses one of his people to come to me and show me the error from his word. But at that point, if I am in error, the biblical response from me is repentance. Any teacher who refuses to repent when shown from scripture where their error lies should be marked and avoided. Paul then goes on to emphasize this, pointing out that if he is so zealous as to be looked at as, well, sort of nuts... It's for God and his glory and honor. If he's sane, it benefits those who he is teaching. The same phrase used for beside ourselves was also used of the people being amazed in Mark 5.42 at Christ's miracles. Paul's point is that he is living for God. Paul is controlled by the love of Christ above all. That's his driving motivation and purpose in life. Knowing that, as Christ died for all who would be saved, All those who will be saved have died with him. He died so that those who would live would no longer live only for their own selfish desires, their own selfish motives, their own sinful urges. No, his death broke the power of sin and of death, and we who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit are no longer slaves to our sin. We don't have to sin anymore. We do have the power within us to fight sin and to win. Of course, we still are fighting our own flesh as well, and that battle will will never be fully won until we are in glory. Knowing that he paid that for us, we should gladly, joyfully, willingly live our lives for him, for the one who died and was raised. Death truly couldn't hold him, ladies. It had no jurisdiction over him. Death is the consequence of sin, and Jesus was without sin. Death had no hold over him unless he willingly died in our place, but even then, death could not keep him. And it is because of that resurrection that we have hope of our own bodily resurrection too. Paul then goes on to say that he regards no one according to the flesh any longer. Now, he's not saying that flesh doesn't matter. He's saying we aren't defined by that. We are not defined by our sins or by anything outside of Christ. We now are a new creation. I can't emphasize that enough, ladies. The use of the word creation is not a random choice here either. As we saw in 1 Corinthians, all are either in Adam, who was the first man created, who fell in sin, or under Christ, the second Adam, who did not fall in sin. Being under Christ, we are under the one through whom humanity has been recreated and who inaugurates the new age of the blessings that come from living on this side 
of the crucifixion. Our spiritual union with Christ is nothing less than participation in the new creation. If you are truly in Christ, there will be a difference in your life. For some, it will be a dramatic difference, having been saved out of obvious blatant rebellion against God. For others, it may be much more subtle, especially for those who were raised knowing that they needed a Savior. But still, if your life looks exactly like the world, you're not a new creation. If you blend in with the world, speaking and acting and thinking like the world, while calling yourself a believer, you really need to examine yourself and be sure that you know what a new creation looks like. A new creation will hate the sin they once loved and love the righteousness they once hated. A new creation will not be able to go along in partnership with evil, participating in the deeds of darkness with no problem, while ignoring God and His Word and His people. There are so many people out there who claim to be Christians, but when you look at their lives, they have no time for God. They have no love of God. They are still living their life for themselves while attaching the label of Christian. That is not what Paul is describing here. A new creation will be just that new. With new affections and new desires, no longer will the ultimate desire be to please yourself, but to please God. No longer will your primary motivation be what you get out of it, but what brings glory to God. Being a new creation is not something you can muster up in yourself. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and recreate yourself. You didn't create yourself the first time. You can't do it the second time either. Only in Christ can we be made new, as we are reconciled to God through Christ. That means that we must admit that we need reconciliation to God, which means we are his enemies. We must confess that we are his enemies, that we are need to be reconciled to him, that our biggest debt is to him, and that is where we must go to be made right. When we realize that our biggest and most urgent need is our own personal sin and rebellion against a holy God, the only response is to cry out to him for mercy to save us. It isn't to try harder or promise to do better in the future. It's to cry out to him, seeing the weight of our sin and need of a Savior to remove that weight from us. And when we do cry out to him, when we do receive that grace that he gives us as he grants us repentance and makes us new creations, we should be telling others how they too can find the cure for the real problem they have, their own sin. We are now, as new creations, ambassadors for God. We are his representatives in the world that doesn't know him. Thus, we should be very careful to be sure that we are actually trusting in him and representing him to the world. Think of the shame that we bring on his name when we claim to be his and then justify our own sin. A very surface example is the bumper stickers on your car. Do you have a fish or a cross on your car? Do you realize that you are representing Christ to the world around you when you cut off people without signaling? When you run that red light? When you make rude gestures or nasty faces at other drivers who displease you? That's a small example of what Paul is talking about here, but ladies know this. The world is watching. When you sin and cause harm, do you repent? Do you ask for forgiveness, or do you justify your sin, insisting that it wasn't really your fault? Or do you own your sin, truly repenting for what you've done? The world is watching, and when we demonstrate to the world hearts that are not perfect, but that are humble, 
seeking reconciliation and forgiveness for wrongs we've committed against others, and seeking to truly honor God in all we do, the world will notice that, too. Our lives should be a continual pattern of repentance and faith when we sin, and an overall trajectory that shows us drawing more near to Him every day. Verse 21 is a beautiful, simple summation of the gospel, everything that we've been talking about here and part of yesterday. It was for our sake, not for Jesus' sake, that Jesus came. And when he came, he was made sin for us. He knew no sin. There was no sin anywhere in him. He didn't desire or do sinful things ever. He was perfect. But God making him sin means that God counted our sin to Christ for our benefit. But he didn't stop there. By counting our sin to Christ, we then, in Christ, become the righteousness of God. My favorite theological word is imputation, and that is what is being described right here. Our sins were imputed to Christ who didn't deserve them. His righteousness was imputed to us who most definitely didn't deserve it. Double imputation is how we are all made right with God. Christ was counted as sin for us, and he paid the debt we owed but never could pay. We are counted as God's righteousness in Christ, and so we are reconciled to God. When God looks at you, he sees his son's righteousness. And when he looked at Christ on the cross, he saw your sin, and Christ paid the debt for that sin. Isn't that amazing, ladies? The debt had to be paid or God would not be just. He couldn't just forgive the debt or let the guilty all go free, because that isn't justice. But someone stood forward to pay the debt for us. The debt is paid, and because of that, we are no longer under our sin when we are in Christ. Ladies, take some time today to ponder the sweetness of the gospel. Thank God for the debt that was paid on your behalf. Realize that your sins, no matter how small you might think they are, deserve hell. That the only way you do not get what you deserve is because Christ took what he didn't deserve and drank the cup of God's wrath on your behalf. Thank him for that, ladies. Praise him for the gift of salvation. And as you go forward, consider, are you living a life of a new creation? Are you living a life that shows that the old has truly passed away? Do you have new desires to honor God? If you don't, spend some time with God, crying out to Him to change you. You can't give yourself new desires here, ladies. It is only through Christ that we have new desires to honor God instead of ourselves, to live for Him instead of living for ourselves. If you find that you're concerned that you may just be trying to do all of this on your own, don't push that thought away. Wrestle with it and bring it to God. Ask Him to help you to be, like Paul, controlled by the love of Christ, no longer living for yourself. And then, ladies, don't stop there. Share that hope with those around you. You walk through your day surrounded by people who are still dead in their sins, who are still old creations, and, unless they become new creations, they will die in their sins and their eternity will be in hell, knowing as we saw yesterday, that judgment is real and it is coming. Share the gospel. Offer the hope of eternity to a fallen world. 
Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com, day 9, A True New Creation.